Welcome to Everyday Disciples, where we strive to follow Jesus wherever we are. I'm Pastor Matthew, and I'm glad you're listening today. Today on Everyday Disciples, we tackle a surprisingly common question these days. Is it okay for Christians to be cremated? A generation or so ago, cremation used to be kind of frowned upon by the church, but today it's much more common, especially with all the costs associated with a traditional burial. We'll talk with Pastor Rob and see what's driving that question and look at what God cares about when it comes to how we handle death. In the second segment, we continue our walk through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' biggest teaching that we have in the Gospel of Matthew, where he addresses head-on some pretty big topics like divorce, keeping your word, and retaliation. Pastor Rob, Adam, and I talk through these touchy topics and take a look at how they inform how we follow Jesus every day. Let's go. Well, welcome back. I'm sitting here once again with Pastor Rob Appold Hello. and uh, fielding a, a question that often comes up when when uh, you know people start asking questions about faith and what do we do when Christians ask, should is it okay for Christians to be cremated? So death is is one of those things that's like often on people's minds. Uh, it, it's in the future for all of us. I mean, unless Jesus comes back before then, but. It's one of those things that, uh, I don't know about you, I, I always struggle with where to point people to in Scripture, uh, where do we go to kind of get some answers on this. So I, I know you've had this question posed to you before. How do you usually uh, respond to folks when they ask about cremation? Yes, and um, it's the reason you can't find a Bible passage is because there is no directive on that. Um, now, the reason for not cremating comes from other cultures anciently that burnt burnt their dead as a offering to God, as a way to placate God. And so that was kind of the Christian uh, response to that, to say we're not, we don't practice, we don't hold death that way. Um, and it became much more common well, the biblical example would be returning people to the earth, which is, that's from ashes to ashes, dust to dust, to dust you shall return. Um, from Adam, you know, creative Which it, it feels like right there. I mean, ashes to ashes. Yeah. I mean, that, that feels like... Now, you know, how they, do you get to the ashes? Sure. Yes. <laughs> and uh, now, but I'm just telling you that the idea that it became not a Christian thing to do because other religions did the burning for their gods. Um, did the did the Christian emphasis on like the resurrection of the body did that play into it? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So yes, then customs developed along that. Well, a couple of things. Not only that, but also God created this body, so I will take I will treat it, you know, naturally and not do things that would um, desecrate it. Kind of goes along with that talk we had on tattoos that's how that how people derive that oh you wouldn't do something to desecrate well where's that line is where that particular question comes in so even even to say unnatural to the body like well embalming we do an awful lot with that that's when when you actually look at what those chemicals are that are going in like yeah so people started asking those questions and uh and then cremation came along, and the appeal of it is the cost. And, and then you add on to that the space uh, for cemeteries and things like that. It caused other Christians to look at it with a different perspective to say, 
hey, it, this body isn't the, the real thing anyhow. God's going to raise it. Um, he can raise burnt ashes just as much as decomposed ashes. And uh, that's how people came to say, well, it, you have that choice and that matter thing. And that's really the only answer we could give, honestly give to people. You decide how you want to um, care for the body of your loved one um, that honors them and honors the Lord. I know growing up, um, for me, I, I, I feel like I remember around funerals and stuff, sort of hearing, maybe not, maybe not like from the pastor, but, but just kind of from others talking around a funeral about like, you know, we're, we're putting the body in the ground, like for safekeeping so that it's like ready when, when Jesus comes back, the, the body is ready to, you know, spring forth from the ground, which as a, as a kid, made a certain amount of sense. Well, you know? it's kind of a nice um, reason. Right. But then it's as you actually start to think about it, it's like, well, um, like everyone's going to raise from the dead. So even you know, Abraham and Noah and Adam, who've been dead for a long, long time, um, their bodies are clearly broken down. <laughs> there's, there's nothing left of them. Um, God's going to raise that body up too, though. God's going to raise back the the bodies of those who have been lost at sea and their body has just, you know, completely broken down and uh, decomposed those who have burned in a fire, house fire or something like that. Uh, God will pull those bodies back together too. So he can pull back the the body that's been intentionally burned, intentionally cremated to to rise again as well. So again, it's, it's important to know the traditions and why those traditions are. The same thing as orienting the body to face the east you know because they're supposed to feet are supposed to be facing east so that when christ comes from the east they are raised you don't want to be backwards at the, <laughs> right, res- at the resurrection because <laughs> oh, who, wants to, coming from the who wants to turn around and look over their shoulder when jesus comes back again i mean but that just we do that with churches too i mean all churches used to be oriented to the east well Ours is oriented to the south. So, um. even even mine, where I grew up, was uh, it's oriented to the east in regard to which direction the streets are. So the streets don't run north, south, east, and west precisely. They're at a bit of an angle, so it's facing as east as it could be. Um, but yeah, you know there are, there are those those traditions that become ingrained that are just tradition. They're not a mandate from God. Right. And, and I don't mean to to dismiss the tradition either. Um, they came to those, conclu- our forefathers came to those conclusions for a reason. Let's look at them. Let's, let's honor them. Are you bound by them? Not necessarily. Um, so I would very much encourage anybody who's making these decisions to think it through, pray it through, and let their wishes known to their loved ones how they would want to be how they would want their earthly remains handled, just as they would with their, you know, their estate. Um, and I, I also wanted to bring out one other thing. I do think a funeral or closure to a person's life is important. So to have the funeral or a memorial service, uh, and I know that during COVID, sometimes that was just skipped or sometimes impossible, to be honest with you. And our psyche, and I don't have a Bible passage for you. This is just my... Uh, encouragement. Pastoral wisdom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have that 
time for closure to say this this is the end of person's life and we thank god for it and but we know there's a time to be born there's a time to die there there are some very important uh, things that happen in a funeral that you might not realize are happening, uh, but are very, very helpful for closure, for you know, processing grief, um, and beginning to to move forward after that after that death. Um, you know, even even something as simple as the committal of and that's of where those the remains, funeral, yeah, um, of of committing these remains to the ground to God in the anticipation of the resurrection, like. That does something for us as we are grieving. It's it's it is sort of one of those signposts now that this is a a new chapter moving forward and brings closure. I believe again, this is back a change from the beginning of my ministry to where we are now, which is now over thirty years. I used to have to file a report, and I don't know if the who chronicled this, but the person's death. And I, I would have to, it was expected that I, as the officiating pastor would walk with the body to its place where it's buried, you know, cause when I started cremation, wasn't, wasn't as common, wasn't nearly as common if ever. Um, and I don't know where that exactly came from, but that this is a spot where person XYZ is buried and th- there's witnesses to their burial almost like a marriage license sort of, yeah. you know, that sort of formal paperwork. Huh. Now, I know marriage licenses are still recorded, but I'm not sure death... There's death certificates that the that the undertaker or coroner or whatever issues those, but, yeah. Huh. No, I didn't know that about the, the paperwork that, that pastors had to file for something like that. Um just on the on this whole topic as we're thinking of um, different ways of approaching that final moment, um, another um, kind of means of what to what to do with the de- the body of the deceased that's becoming more and more popular these days is especially in Christian circles is the natural burial. Right. I don't know if that's something that you've encountered anybody doing that yet um, of the. Uh, even without a coffin, you know, where the body is, is cleaned and wrapped um, in, like, cloth. And there's a – oftentimes in newer cemeteries, there's, like, a, a section of the cemetery that's that's set aside for natural burial. Oh, without a um, coffin or a beard. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, sometimes with headstones, sometimes without headstones. Um, but, yeah, just a, a, another way of approaching it. So, you know, it's culture – continues to change and evolve in, in how we approach something like death that is universal. And again, uh, that's Christian freedom. There's no directed way to, to do this. Otherwise, we would be buried the way Jesus was buried, and we don't in, do that in anymore. A, in a stone tomb. <laughs> right. Um, but, I mean, you can start practicing stuff that, you know, wasn't intended to, you know, the Mother Earth kind of theology and all that kind of stuff too, which I know, no, we wouldn't do that as as uh, Christians. But um, yeah, you just have to think some things through, and that's where again, letting your family know how you want uh, your remains taken care of and what your wishes would be and why. I think the why is probably more important than the what. Well, thanks, Pastor Rob. Appreciate. Uh this conversation on you know one of these topics that probably crosses people's minds, but um, at a usually I would think crosses their mind at a point where they have to make a decision right away about 
mom or dad who's just passed away. We're maybe thinking about it just aside from the uh, urgency of the situation. If I could add one more thing. I do have, um, so Pastor Bill Wanglin, you know him. He was a pastor here in uh, Jenison, uh, has written a nice uh, little brochure regarding these um, uh, decisions and kind of a nice balanced way uh, to to think these things through that I could share with you. Yeah, yeah, we'll post a link to that in the show notes. So yeah, thanks for saying that. Uh, yeah, and I hope this conversation was helpful for those listening in here. And uh, yeah, as you think about that uh, final step that lies before us. Well, welcome back to a, another exciting edition here of uh, the No Notes Bible Study. We're sitting down with Pastor Rob and with Adam here to to talk about Scripture uh, without the aid of commentaries and all the other things that you know we often bring with us. We are the commentaries. We, we, we are. There you go. We're we're trusting in. Um, in Rob's wealth of of knowledge that you've got stored up in your brain from from years of preaching and teaching about this stuff, uh, but approaching approaching scripture like you, our listeners, might be approaching it, where you just got your Bible and you want to read it and kind of think about it a little bit. So we've been doing that reading through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, if you've followed along last season, we stopped uh, at verse thirty of uh, Matthew chapter five. So we're going to pick up today at Matthew 5, starting at verse 31, and we're going to read all the way through 42. But we can maybe take it in in my Bible here. Um, it's broken into kind of three headings, three sections, so maybe we'll take it a section at a time. Um, Adam, you want to read the, the first section for us, uh, just uh, verse 31 and 32? It is also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. There we go. Yeah. Right? Easy easy words from Jesus here. Uh, So as we... uh, as we, I mean, maybe just kind of back up for just a second, remembering this is in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the the largest kind of collected teaching that we have of of Jesus. Um, you know, in in my Bible here, all these words are in red uh, that we've been reading here all along, including these that we just read here, and we just came out of the the previous sections we looked at, talked about anger. Uh, Jesus really poking at anger, uh, at lust. Jesus really laying down the law there about uh, it's not just about what you do, but about what you what you see, what goes on inside of you. Um, and so he, you know, continues on this this teaching here, talking about divorce. So um, I don't know, Pastor Rob, how have you handled this text in the past? You ever, well, again, you ever I, preached I, on this on this verse? Um, well, I know it comes up in the readings. Yeah, so. Have I preached on it? Probably somewhere along the line. Yeah. Um, uh, thanks for bringing up the context because it is so. Uh, just even the verse before that, the, the exaggeration—not not the exaggeration, but the—if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I mean, these are big statements of Jesus, and this one is too. Um, certainly the. What do we do about divorce? Was there a marital breakdown in Jesus' day? Absolutely. Was there? Was it? Did it precede him in the Old Testament? Certainly, it did. So this um, 
this um, situation was not new to us or Jesus or anybody. And there's always been the two extremes. The one is, do you make divorce easy? Do you make divorce hard? And there were rabbis who taught both of those things in Jesus' day. Jesus brings a very um, high view of the marital bond and clearly is saying divorce shouldn't be <laughs> part of uh, the design. And what do you do? But again, what do you do when it does happen? And is a bad marriage better than a good divorce and all that kind of stuff? Uh, the, these are the questions that, you know, I know people listening will wrestle with. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are other places where Jesus talks about divorce. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the, the setting where he's talking with the Pharisees and, you know, Moses allowed, allowed for divorce. Um, and, you know, he kind of, he talks about it there too, that, you know, no, this is not the ideal. Um, marriage was intended to be forever. Uh, husband and wife coming together for life. But in this broken world, the ideal isn't always able to happen. Yeah. Well, I like that one because they, I think they come to say uh, Moses what did they instructed us to get a divorce? And Jesus said, no, Moses allowed you to get a divorce. Yeah. Um, because of your hardness of heart. So taking this text, um, I've now, this is where I've heard, I don't know this, but one rabbinic teaching was if a husband, all he had to do was say, I divorce you three times to his wife, the marriage was dissolved. So it gave, uh, a husband, tremendous authority, and you know, in a broken world, it could make a cowering wife just trying to, you know, live desperately to please her husband. So he'd never say that. And of course, in that patriarchal world, husband would get the the means, the property, the money. There, there's no alimony payments or child support or anything like that in this day. So you know that that woman who is being divorced is now you know, really left kind of high and dry, um, without any resources and without, I mean, anything to support herself. So here's Jesus is saying no divorce. Uh, marriage is uh, clearly contrary to the intention of God when we make an, a promise. In the name of God, we are to live it out. He makes one exception, the ground of sexual immorality. That, that is saying that's already broken the, the bond, the trust. And, okay, what is that? Would that go back to the verse before <laughs> or the section before, lust in the heart? I mean, certainly, certainly, that's what he says in that section before. That if you if you even think about another woman or another another man, that you know somebody that you are not married to, whether you're a man or a woman, um, you've committed adultery in your heart. Exactly. It's not it's not just confined to the physical act. Uh, where your heart is leading to, that's that's also in in sin. And then the final uh, comment: Whoever marries a divorced woman, I know that's troubled many people who are remarried and married uh, after a, a previous divorce. You know, what do we do? Are we sinning against God? And um, how do you handle this? Carefully, I think we handle it. Um, you know, I, I guess I think of as I read, read that last verse about, uh, you know, making what by divorcing your wife, except for sexual immorality, that makes her commit adultery. 
whoever marries a divorced woman, they commit adultery by doing that. Um, when I think of you know the severity of sins, and we as humans, we maybe take take adultery to a pretty high level. We think that's a pretty big sin. Um, in God's eyes, it's a sin like any other sin. It's it's no worse of a sin than lying or deceiving or or using bad language or taking God's name in vain kind of thing. Um, it is sin that is forgivable. I, I guess is you know kind of maybe where my mind first goes to. Um, and yes, I'm sorry, you were going to finish. Ju- just that, just that it you know whether this is something that has happened in the past um, or it's a you know a kind of a present situation that somebody finds themselves in, um, there is forgiveness here. Um, yes, it, we may be committing adultery um, by the actions that we've we've committed here, but. Jesus has forgiveness for that. That's Jesus has covered that with the cross. And I think that's this whole probably chapter, the impossibility of living up to God's holy demand is just impossible, and we need a Savior. That's the clear thing. Now, the, the tactical parts of this, I would... Well, I don't think anybody gets married thinking they're going to get a divorce. You would hope not. And I would hope our hearers are saying, do everything you can do to avoid divorce. But it does take two to tango. <laughs> and when is there a time for a divorce? Yes. And Paul would talk about, uh, you know, remarriage, and he talks about burning and lust. You know, that's not good either. <laughs> and let a man remarry or a woman remarry uh and you live under the the umbrella of mercy of God for us and just say, I'm trusting in the Lord. And now there are different consequences to different sins, and divorce does happen to be one that does have a lot of consequences. For some folks, it, it can go quite smoothly. For others, it causes uh, family breakups. It can cause jealousies. It can cause a, a whole string of consequences. I remember seeing a statistic a little while back that um, you know, the divorce rate between Christians and non-Christians was not substantially different. You know, they were it was essentially the same. Um, you know, it and and that that's sad because it's like as Christians we we should be better at it, but this world is just so broken that it's it's hard to be. You could take these to an extreme and be brutal with them. Uh, obviously, if you took the previous uh, section on teaching on lust, your eye, you would have maimed people. If you took this to its literal uh, consequential enforcement, you would have very pharisaical, uh, brutal marriage world where people are locked into um, a marriage without even, without even trying to make it better. So again, we're living in a, in a world of tension of the now and not yet. And maybe another th- thought that came, maybe we should talk about marriage in the world to come because there's no, Jesus' other talk, topic on this was has, there won't even be marriage in heaven. So, and I know that that, that freaks bursts a lot of bubbles <laughs> for who wants their soulmates and all that kind of stuff. But um um, obviously Christ is the all in all and we have to live with tension here with people um, with the forgiveness but also 
let's do everything we can to make our marriages and my marriage holy, godly, Christ-pleasing. Well, in the, in the time that we've got left here, let's, uh, let's move through these next couple of sections here. I, I think the next one may be kind of, um, at least under the heading of oaths, that sounds like it, it kind of ties back in with the divorce thing. Uh, Adam, you want to read those, those verses there through uh, 37? Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is this is an interesting one for us today. Um, you know, I you don't hear a whole lot of people swear by Jerusalem. So, so what's Jesus saying here? Like well, I did kind of just paid attention to. So the the anger and lust sections. That's kind of internal your internal world. Obviously, divorce, oaths, and retaliation are now dealing with outer. Sure. You know, your relationships with other people. Uh, so here's one, your speech from other commentaries, just from my head. Uh, first century world, you could swear differently and and couch your, you could tell a little bit of a lie by what you swore by. So the more valuable you swore by, the less lie it was. So if it was, that's where this whole thing of it, by heaven or earth, by footstool or Jerusalem, or by um, the temple or anything like that. That was gradations that were kind of the loopholes in swearing uh, and truth-telling. And clearly Jesus is saying, just be a truthful person, period. Yeah, I like that observation that Jesus is moving now towards our, our relationships with other people, our interactions. And I mean, I think it all is pretty much summed up in the final verse of that section of let what you say simply be yes or no. You know, just be be a man or a woman of your word. And if you say you're going to do something, do it. You don't need uh, outside verification to prove that you will. There should be, ideally, a integrity of person that when you make a promise, you follow through on a promise. Neat, interesting that it does follow through right after the divorce. Yeah, if you've, if you've made that word to your spouse, then keep that word to your spouse. And what that means for our society, if you live in a world where it's not even expected for somebody to really follow through on what they promise, that's a, that's a corrupted society. That's going to be a, a dangerous society. Well, let's move on to the, the final section we're going to talk about today, uh, verses 38 through 42, re- retaliation. I'll go ahead and read it. You have heard it. That it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the the other also. And if anyone would sue you and have your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. All right. This is, uh, these are some familiar words to a lot of people. I mean, this is a section I think a lot of people like to quote at times, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Uh, certainly th- that phrase um, gets remembered. Um, but turning the other cheek. So somebody strikes out against us. I do remember it being pointed out 
um, how Jesus is saying, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, so if I'm facing somebody and I'm right-handed, I'm going to slap them, I'm going to hit their left cheek. So when Jesus says the right cheek, he's talking about a backhanded, uh, you know, so like a like an insulting kind of a smack. This isn't like a fight. This is. Oh, a, I thought you were looking for a loophole. They didn't hit me on that. Oh no, 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 no. But you know, just so like Jesus is is even ramping it up that this isn't just like you got in a in a fight with somebody, but this is somebody insulting you. Um, so when somebody insults you, then turn the other cheek as well. Um, that's hard to do. All of this is, I mean, just shoot the the last couple of years that we've come through in our in our world, our culture, you know, with all the division and stuff that was around COVID and how that got handled. Um, reading these words here gets a little tough sometimes. So, and again, it's this outrageous claims of Jesus that are mind blowing when you really drill down into it. Don't resist the one who is evil. Now, do wow. you know, um, it's, it stands out to me a little bit strange that if anyone would sue you to take your shirt, you know, not just to, like, ask it from you, but to, like, sue. So, like, is legal action that's being taken here, is that what that, yeah, that, that's I, getting I at? I don't really know. I don't know what the implication of that. I would assume that's what, what you're saying. I feel like in, in other translations that I remember growing up, like that it was just if somebody asks for it, but so maybe maybe the, the underlying word there is a little stronger than just asking for it. Because um, that's a little bit, you know, in verse 42 about the one who begs from you, you know, so the one who's asking, then, you know, don't, then, then to give to them, don't refuse that. So it certainly sounds like here, you know, part part of it, especially towards the end, um, it's that reminder that nothing that we have is ours. It's all from God. So if somebody begs from you, you know, give give to them. If somebody wants to borrow from you, let them borrow it. Like it's it's not yours to begin with. Which in our world is, you know, I mean, like my stuff's mine. Like you stay off my lawn. Don't don't uh, you know? Don't cross <laughs> my, my fence. <laughs> and you know, like that's uh, we're very territorial. Um, today. What does this really mean? So the guy on the street corner, do I give him everything I have and I become the beggar? Um, is that what this means? And in a spiritual world, yes, it's true. I am the beggar. I have no righteousness of my own. But what God has given to me, what's the best way to manage that to for in a God-pleasing way? Well, and again, like we talked about in in the section on divorce, um, this is this is pointing ahead to the the ethics of the new kingdom, um, where in the new kingdom, you know, there wouldn't really be anybody who's begging, um, but but there there would also not be any sense of like this is my stuff, not yours. Get your hand off of it, sort of thing. Where today, we do. I mean, we do have to to be wise about how we deal with our stuff. Um, you know, for for many of us, our stuff isn't just ours singularly, but it's like it's my family's. I've got a I've got a family that I've got to take care of. I've got you know a spouse or or um, you know others that I have to I have to take care of as well that I have obligations to. I can't just go giving everything away because then now I've hurt those people who depend on me. Um, so it is hard to, 
to navigate this. I think it's also very helpful to remember that to interpret this Christ-centered because Jesus did all of this for us. He did not resist us who were evil. (laughs) He gave us many more blessings than we are even the little one that we should have, that we should have a fragment. And he, he clothes us in his righteousness. So it will be fulfilled in Christ. And as followers of him, yeah, we're going to say, well, what does this mean? And how do we how do we navigate these waters? Well, I think that brings us to the end of our time here this morning that we've got for this. So uh, thanks for, for joining in the conversation, guys. And thanks for listening along, uh, you at home or you in the car, wherever you happen to be listening to us here. And uh, we'll join us again for, for another segment of In the Bible. Thanks for listening to Everyday Disciples. Everyday Disciples is part of the online ministry of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids. We're striving to be followers of Jesus wherever we are, and we hope you'll join us on that journey. If you found this podcast helpful in your spiritual journey, we'd be honored if you would rate us and review us wherever you listen. It helps people find us and get the good news about Jesus out there to the world. If you've got questions or suggestions for things that you'd like to hear about on Everyday Disciples, let us know with an email to media at stmatthewgr.com.